Okay, every year people ask me what they should get their swimmer for Christmas, and I always tell them the same thing. Get a pair of drag socks made by Aquavolo. It's the perfect stocking stuffer for any swimmer. Drag socks are one of my favorite pieces of training equipment. They're a must-have. We use them almost every day. In order to build speed, we kick and swim as fast as we possibly can. I use drag socks with fins and paddles. I put them just below the knee, over the fins. We build speed and strength, swimming really fast. We also use them to develop power in our underwater dolphin kick. We go short distances to develop speed in the feet from the top of the movement to the bottom of the movement. And my favorite set is uh, 16 streamlined reps from a push with eight dolphin kicks as fast as possible. Honestly, there's no simpler training tool to build power in the water than a pair of drag socks. I love them so much. I got them to sponsor the podcast. Go to aquavolo.com and use the code Brett at checkout and save 10%. Tell your team, tell your parents, use Brett, B-R-E-T-T at checkout. That's aquavolo, V-O-L-O.com. Go to aquavolo.com, get drag socks, type in Brett, check out, save 10%. The offer's good only through November, so order now. All right, Russell Mark, how you doing, man? Doing great. Yeah, great to be here. Good to see you. Where, where are you coming from? I'm in Colorado Springs now. Um, this is where USA Swimming is based, and... I've been here now for over 200 days in a row, uh, just with the <laughs> pandemic. So usually my life is traveling 200 days a year. And wow. now I've just been in one place for 200 days. Haven't seen a live swimming stroke in, in just that amount of time too. So I've watched a lot of video. People mm. have sent me video, but I haven't seen real swimming in, in a long time. Wow. What is your official title at USA Swimming? So it's National Team High Performance Manager. National team high performance manager. And so if you were to summarize that for someone who had no idea what that meant, what would you say? I would say that I advise the national team on anything. I mean, I'm mostly known for technique mm -hmm. and, but I would say I can advise anything from race strategy to planning and prepping for the Olympics or the four years leading to the Olympics uh, how meets go at that level. If you've never been there, I also work with our junior team. So I would say general advisor is, uh, is a good role and a good way to describe it. Who's your, who, who oversees you, who tells you what to do, where to go, who do you report to? So, I, I mean, I, I kind of create things as I go on my own. Mm -hmm. Uh, having been here now for 18 years, I kind of know the rhythm of what I should be doing and, and where I should be uh, focusing my time and energy. But Lindsay Mintenko is the top of the national team and she's the boss. Mm -hmm. uh, she's our national team managing director and a phenomenal leader. And especially during this pandemic, I think she's done a really, really great job. Yeah. Lindsay's awesome. We, we swam uh, around the same time. So I wouldn't say together, but we were, we're on the same pool deck at the same time. So I uh, know her very well. Um, great, great leader. Yeah. She's awesome. So, uh, well, well, give us a little bit of background on you. Like, you know, how did you get to this position? Where did, where did it start for you in swimming and, and then in your academics to get to the point where you're at now? Yeah. Uh, I'll give you the quick summary. Basically I, I grew up in New York city, so I'm for a YMCA there growing up. I went to university of Virginia 
for academic reasons. I walked on the team my second year. Actually, Coach Mark Bernardino didn't allow me to swim my first year there. So I basically talked my way on to giving him to for him to give me a chance my second year there. So I spent my last three years there. Uh, had the great fortune of swimming with great national team athletes like Ed Moses, um, Austin Ramirez, and Gary Marshall, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. And um, and then from there, I I graduated with an aerospace engineering undergraduate degree. Mm. Went on to work in the industry for a little bit at Pratt and Whitney, which they design and manufacture military and commercial jet engines. And um, after nine months, I came over to an internship at USA Swimming. That was 18 years ago, and now it's been um, you know it's been a great career. You know, I've been mentored by great coaches and staff members. John T. Skinner was uh, was a great great influence on me, and I got to work with him from 2002 up to 2008. And then from there, basically every single national team coach, I would say has been a mentor to me as well. Yeah. I mean, you, you've had an incredible mentorship over these, over these years, but uh, why on earth would you leave aerospace engineering in the first place to take a, an internship at USA swimming? Yeah. You know, a lot of it is you spend so much time in your daily life, in your job, and you want to really enjoy it. And I, I was willing to take a chance. I didn't really enjoy the engineering as much. It was so dry and so rigid of an environment. And that's not what we're used to in swimming. We're used to dynamic people. We're used to a, a very good rah-rah team environment. We're used to that kind of in, interaction. And I wasn't getting that in engineering. So I was willing to you know, take a pay cut from you know, 60, 70,000 a year, my first year out of college down to it was a thousand dollars a month so twelve thousand dollars that first year Mm. um and willing to take that chance and had no idea it would turn into such an opportunity where i could make a career out of this and i feel fortunate every day there isn't a day that goes by in this job where i where i don't feel lucky to have this opportunity and to work with the people that i have been in and get to go where i've wanted where i've been able to go yeah, we've got an incredible influence now, but it, it's amazing that you do, you, you, you back yourself at times and you take a chance and, and you fall in love with um, a, a job, but, but it doesn't feel like a job, does it? It feels like this is what I'm meant to be doing. This is what I'm passionate about. And it's easy to get out of bed in the morning rather than to say, uh, you know, I'm struggling to get out for this job that's paying me well. And I think a lot of us go through that at times, don't we? Absolutely. You know what you, you have to be passionate about what you spend your time in and you have to be passionate about swimming. If, if that's where you're going to put your career into, I know a lot of people aspire to be in this role. I get so many questions about how I got here mm. and it, there's no shortcuts. I mean, it takes a lot of hard work. You have to work as hard as the athletes are and as hard as the coaches are, and you have to be passionate about it. If you know, you're still going to five or 6am morning workouts and not having, you know, a whole lot of time off in the summertime and just your days are structured around workouts and around swim meets. And so you have to be passionate about it. And that's how you can be effective in it too. How many positions around the world do you think are just like yours? I would say every country has one or two, at least every federation. And we actually have tried to collaborate a little bit more across the, across the federations. You go to a swim meet, you go to world championships or the Olympics and you look up into the stands and you'll see me and my colleagues. And then you'll see a bunch of other cameras set up. Every federation has 
every major federation and, and many of the smaller ones have people like me uh, doing video, taking, doing other testing, taking metrics, taking data, and they all do it in their own different kind of way. And I think, you know, there is no universal way to watch video or, you know, to collect it or camera, camera formats or anything like that. So um, I would say there's probably 40 to 50 around the world if you, if you count all the large and small federations. Well, there's been some incredible changes over the last 18 years, just in terms of the thing, the technology that's been sitting in my hand. So there must have been incredible changes for you. How, what have you seen in terms of the tech, technological advancements just in your industry and, and enables you to do what you can do now? Oh my gosh. So when I first started, we were, we were working on all VHS tapes. <laughs> so everything, everything on video was VHS. And my, one of my first jobs is actually cataloging every single, probably like thousands of VHS tapes and figuring out what was on it and labeling it. Um, and then that's how we shot underwater video too, is through um, like, we would have a cart that was basically rolling alongside of the pool with this camera that we had in underwater, like a waterproof housing. It was a huge setup and huge contraption. And obviously now we've gravitated towards GoPros or you can even put phones in the water at times. So it's, it is quite amazing and it has allowed the sport to really evolve and grow in such a phenomenal way because video was such a hard thing for us to use. And now it's so much more convenient that, you know, a swimmer can, can, you know, film themselves and film other people so easily. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, uh, we use that a lot just in, for me is, you know, just even the slow motion feature, I feel like has helped me as a coach so much of like, you know, in the start, the start's one of the hardest things to teach and change. And that slow motion feature has helped so much. Uh, I, and I do clinics now and I tell kids all the time, of like, if you, if you want to feedback, just get someone to hold your phone up for you and take some video and watch it over and over again. Watch how you can, because you can see what the mistakes you're making then. Um, pretty incredible. But in terms of like your role right now, you know, what do you, what do you say the things that you're doing that are influencing the, the future of USA Swimming? Like what are the main things you do? Yeah. So right now, I mean, and if you want to get specific to right now, pandemic too, I mean, over the last seven or eight months, you know, I haven't been able to watch swimming live, but have been trying to find ways to also to still stay relevant and still stay influential and still stay positive and in, impacting our athletes. Cause there is still an Olympics in the, on the horizon, right. Mm. You know, not very far away from now and our athletes, while things have really paused and had to slow down, our athletes are still moving towards that direction. So still trying to find ways for people to get better. So uh, athletes have been sending me video. I've stayed in touch with people. A lot of it has been structured. A lot of my work and time has been structured around, yeah, mental health and physical health and, and, and what we're doing in the water and then what you're doing to maintain good health outside of the water. So um, I would say, you know, Lindsay's enabled me to have a lot of influence in our mental health program as well, which we're trying to expand a whole lot more to our, to our entire USA swimming membership. But, um, you know, in the technical side, you know, watching video, people sending me stuff from their workouts. And it's, I mean, I don't know if, if we had this pandemic, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it would have been a whole lot harder for us to keep that going. But, you know, for someone to be able to shoot video and then text it to me, and then for me to be just be able to give feedback right away. Um, pretty, pretty awesome. So um, I would say that that's, 
you know, still trying to stay focused and stay sharp, um, yeah. you know, with my swimming eyes. Yeah. Well, there's a, a few people at USA Swimming that have worked there for a number of years that have probably had an enormous impact on the, the last three or four Olympiads. And you're certainly one of those guys. And, and, you know, I think of a guy like Nathan Adrian, who is at a point in his career now where he's, he's probably going to swim, you know, at his last Olympics this time around, but you've been there from, from the moment he's come on board. And I know Nathan's very into the technical side of things and how he can get better and learning. And so you must've had a pretty um, strong connection with someone like Nathan Adrian throughout the years, right? Yeah. And that connection for someone, especially specifically Nathan, you know, our first trip together was in 2000, I think the 2005 junior Pampax when he was a junior in high school. So when he was 16, I think is when I first started working with him. And now, so we're talking 15 years later, I've been able to watch him grow from a a great junior team athlete to a first time Olympian, a great NC2A athlete, uh, an Olympic champion, and then, you know, Olympic captain, team captain, just one of our greatest leaders and people that we have in the sport. And yeah, that technical side, I would say I've, I've been able to grow with him and he has pushed me. And this is like a lot of our athletes. He has pushed me to expand what I think about swimming, how I think about it, what I look for, the level of detail that I look at. I mean, his ability, and this is, I would say not very different from many of our elite athletes, his ability to make changes within a race, to feel changes, to be able to come out of a race and just really break down what happened within, you know, a 20 second race or a 45 Mm -hmm. second race is incredible. And, you know, that has forced me to be able to talk at that level and to think at that level of detail where, okay, yeah. So if you take a breath in your hundred or or do a, a cycle with no breath in your hundred, how does that affect your stroke? And how does that change your rhythm? What are you feeling? Are you being more connected or not? So yeah, I've been able to grow with him technically as well. And, and as so many of our athletes, and it's been really awesome. Yeah. It's funny that you brought that up because I've been kind of going back and forward on this topic a little bit recently in terms of the, the technical aspects of like a 50 freestyle and how in tune you can be in just in that 20 seconds and the mistakes that you can make or the things that you can do well, or even the corrections that you can make during a race. Um, a lot of people th- thought of the 50 back in the day and still have this belief that it's a crapshoot that anyone can win the 50 freestyle. But I, I attest to the belief that the best swimmers win the, the races, you know, the best 50 freestylers win the 50 freestyle. And, and, and Nathan's a great example of that. Somebody that can make adjustments during a race is always going to finish ahead of somebody that can't make those adjustments. Right. Yeah. And you know, you've, and you know it yourself. I mean, I think you were a technical swimmer. You're a very technical coach and put a level of detail and thought into sprinting for yourself and your athletes. And I think, um, yeah, you can't, it is incredible because you're talking, you know, maybe less than a, a second per cycle. So within that one second, someone is able to make changes or feel changes or feel things that might not be right in their, in their stroke. And then to be able to make an adjustment for, you know, the remaining 15 seconds, you know, of their race. So I do think it is possible. And that's what makes our elite athletes elite is Mm -hmm. that ability to feel that, that awareness. And, um, I, I think it is pretty incredible. How do you, um, 
integrate your role when, when the athletes uh, with their coaches that they've obviously got relationships with their coaches and then they go to a meet, they might not see you very often, but when they do see you, they can obviously utilize your, your um, information. Uh, so how do you deliver the information? How do you feel like, where do you, where do you fit in with the, the role of their performance at a big meet? Yeah, I think it all starts with the coach. Um, you know, an athlete's career might be 10 years from the time their junior team to the time they retire. But, you know, the coach's career, I, I'll have known them before they were a junior teamer, after they retire. So I think a lot of it starts with the coach or, or many times for a new junior team athlete, they know the coach knows me um, before I even get to know them. So it is now, you know, nice to have a little bit of a reputation where there's a little bit of trust in terms of what I can provide to them. But a lot of it is, um, you know, kind of that triangle of coach, me, coach and athlete, all kind of working together. And as an athlete gets older and, and gets to be a professional, a lot of it, the, the, the athlete takes on more of that, a bigger role in that triangle. And I think, there's, um, you know, they take a little bit more ownership. And I think that's, but it all starts from me communicating and getting on the same page as what, as to what they're doing, the athlete and the coach, and then to be able to bridge that. And if I'm bridging that uh, domestically, then whenever we go to the Olympics or world championships, then I can report back. Cause yeah, on the U S team, especially like we only have eight coaches on the staff, but we probably have pro, uh, athletes from 20 different programs at least, uh, so to be able to have the staff coaches and me communicating back with the home coach, along with the athlete communicating back with the home coach, that's where that synergy really gets created and is the most effective when we get to that, to that meet. Do you ever get frustrated in your role? Like, is it frustrating when, when you, you know, the numbers, you see the numbers or you, you know, the technique and you see where, where an athlete could be utilizing you more, or you feel like you may ha even have an answer for them and they're resistant to it. Is, is that frustrating at times? You know, <laughs> that's a great question. And I actually haven't felt that. I haven't even thought of that, um, <laughs> you know, until you mentioned that. And I think the reason is that, like I have four years, I have years to be able to make a change basically with the Olympics in mind. And if I, you know, it's on me to notice it early. It's on me to communicate that early. If it doesn't get done, if an athlete isn't making that change, it's on me to communicate it better and to convince them, you know, either convince them how to do it or convince them that they need to do it. And um, so I don't put that on the athlete or coach. I, you know, if there's anyone that, that I would get frustrated with, it's myself for not getting it done and not, you know, not doing my job well, but not communicating, you know, I just need to find ways to be able to connect with that, those people to be able to, to make them realize that this is a change that will impact them for the better. I, I'm never worried about an athlete and coach's motivation at that level. Um, you know, they, you get to be an elite athlete and, you, you, you're there for a reason. You aspire to be great. And so it's more about like, yeah, like I said, about convincing them that there is uh, an impact that can be had. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I grew up in the, the pop-off era, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of pop-off Alex pop-off and he was one of the, the, the technicians, the masters, you know, and um, it, it, growing up in Australia, at the time, him being Olympic champion, him being around us, you know, it was almost like everybody was telling us we needed to swim like Alex Popov. And the more they forced it, 
down my throat, the more I realized I'm not Alex Popoff. I just can't do what he, I don't have his wingspan. I'm not six foot eight. You know, I just can't get in the positions that he can get into. And I found it very frustrating at times. Um, how, how do you deal with that in terms of technique? There's many different ways to swim the stroke. So how do you figure out what's right for each athlete? Yeah, I think that's really important is to understand the unique individual distinctions from everybody. And, you know, understanding that not everyone has Michael Phelps's shoulder flexibility. Mm -hmm. Not everyone has Caleb's, you know, I would say the same thing, strength or athleticism that Caleb has or, or the range of motion in the shoulders that Reagan Smith has or Kathleen Baker. And so it's understanding these physical attributes that are unique to the individual, but then also understanding what everyone can do better. So it's, it's respecting that unique, um, those unique strengths and then understanding the baseline of, of, I guess, what everyone can be doing. And, and, you know, every athlete, they're looking for ways to do it better. They're not necessarily, they're going to work harder, but it's how are we focusing that hard work into very specific areas. So um, most of our best athletes are, are very interested in these details in how do we do it better, not just how do we force it harder. I like that. Uh, let's talk about that a bit then. Let's let's dig into uh, the strokes a little bit. Uh, let's get technical on people. Um, give me some commonalities of each stroke, maybe some, some technical aspects where you feel like um, these things are really important or, or these are things that I'm seeing recently, maybe some recent changes or anything that you feel like. We'll start, we'll, we'll just go down the line. Uh, actually, we'll start with the fifth stroke. Let's start with dolphin kick. What are some things in dolphin kick that you just have to be doing to be doing it well? I think you need to be, you need to have good kind of range of motion in your, and it's so hard to talk technique, just listening to words or even reading. It is. You have to be able to see it too. So, um, but I would say good range of motion in your shoulder blades, kind of in that shoulder, shoulder line. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that you need to be able to follow through with your legs so that your, your kick needs to happen and needs to be followed through in front of your body instead of popping your hips too far back. So I'll keep it simple. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously we can, you know, I'm known for talking about each stroke, probably lecturing on each stroke for about an hour, but we'll, yeah. we'll just keep it to a couple of minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry about that. Putting you on the spot. No, you're good. But um what about butterfly itself? Uh, what are some of the best athletes doing these days? I mean, who, who are the, who are the best butterflies that you see doing things really well these days? Man, you know, I do really love Caleb stroke and it's obviously it's so easy for me to say these things because they're performing the best, but it's yeah. for a reason, you know, I, I really think Caleb stroke is really, I would say it's a stroke that can be, mimicked and modeled mm-hmm. after yeah. um as opposed to someone like phelps where i do feel like his shoulder flexibility allowed him to press a, lo- a lot deeper than most people could mm-hmm. uh, whereas caleb's stroke is a lot flatter um i really like Haley flickinger stroke i really like christoph milak stroke i mean these are all the people that are the best in the world right now the japanese flyers tend to have like really great technique just very forward and, and flat and generally i like that i think that the more undulation that has typically been taught, I would say in U.S. swimming, I would say it makes it actually harder to to have a forward propelling fly and a, a stroke that can last a long time and can be effective over an entire race. So, 
Um, generally I like that flatter stroke, um, you know, two awesome kicks and just really emphasizing, you know, that, that entry and, and pressing forward. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, I, I talked to Adam Petey's coach and we'll get on breaststroke in a minute. Uh, but Mel Marshall was talking about the fact of how, you know, Adam is very fast, obviously in his hands and feet, but gets back into his line very fast as well and actually holds his streamline longer than most of the other athletes in the race, which is why he looks faster and swims faster than everybody else. Cause he gets back into that line very quick. And I imagine someone like Caleb who's swimming kind of a flatter fly, but also very fast in the hands and feet is probably getting back into that line very fast as well. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a really, really important point. Whereas, uh, you know, most people, most, I would say, yeah, most people are emphasizing just the pull part of it and trying mm -hmm. to pull as much water, but there's obviously another whole half of the stroke that needs to happen well in order for the pull to happen. So, yeah, I do think a lot of it is in that line and the shape that you're holding through the water. Yeah, Richard Quick used to always tell me, speed in recovery, Brett. You finish your stroke, get your hands back out in front as fast as you can so you can get back on your catch again. Uh, so speed in recovery was huge. Um, what about backstroke? One of the things in backstroke that's always challenging for me to, to teach and to figure out is, is the catch itself. What, what do we need to be doing in the backstroke catch to be holding water? Yeah, I think you need to make sure that your hands are never pushing water downward towards the bottom. Yeah. I think it's interesting because like when you enter in backstroke, you're throwing, you're basically throwing your arm over your head mm -hmm. and be in that direction behind you. But as soon as you enter, you want your arm to come out to the side and your hands come out to the side. So you basically want to think about entering and then changing the direction of your hands. And you look at I mean, there's great video from the 2012 Olympics from above water of Missy Franklin and Emily Seabom swimming right next to each other above water. The camera's panning along with them and you see how they enter and then their hand comes immediately out to the side. And that is the direction that you need to take. Most people will try to enter and just follow that through and push it downward, similar to freestyle. Like people will enter and just like follow through with that. And it's different in backstroke. You want to enter and then change directions immediately. Yeah, I like that. And one of the things in freestyle that we'll talk about too is, is the flatness as well. I mean, most strokes these days are going to a flatter stroke. There's not a lot of rotation in, in speed. Obviously, you don't, you don't have time to get from there to back to there. So there's very little rotation in the hips. Are you finding the same thing in backstroke that the hips aren't going from side to side much? It's just very small, sharp movements? Absolutely. You know, I would, I would, kind of tend to describe it more as you're pivoting from side to side as opposed to like when I think of rotation you are going mm. like big one side to the other and I, I do think that you are you are staying more on your back than you are getting onto your side through the stroke so you're only it's a slight hip rotation from side to side and and especially with tempos getting a little bit faster as athletes get stronger, as we're, as times are getting faster, I think your rotation needs to be able to keep up with your arm tempo. And if you're trying to move your hips all the way from one side to the other, you're not getting, you're not staying connected from your, your core through your arms. Yeah. I love it. Okay, great. Um, I've talked about Adam Petey a little bit on this podcast. So talk to me about, Lily King. I mean, this girl is the most dominant swimmer in the world right now. There's nobody that can beat her. Um, what, what is she doing well, other than the fact that she just doesn't lose races? 
Yeah, you know, I see Lily and Adam as very similar. I, I listened to that podcast you had with Mel Marshall, and I thought it was phenomenal, and I absolutely loved it. And I thought you guys covered the technical bases of Brushstroke really well. And along with that podcast you had of Josh Prino, and those two podcasts, I feel like, summarize Brushstroke so well from a coaching standpoint, from an athlete standpoint, from a technical standpoint. And I think Lily is very similar. She's so great with her hands, getting her hands and getting back into line really fast. And people see Lily's fast tempo, just like they see Adam's fast tempo. But really, Lily's tempo comes from how she shoots forward and gets into line so well uh, within each cycle. And, you know, along with that, it, it, you know, that only happens well with timing and breaststroke with fast heels to go along with your fast arm tempo. So, you know, it, I would say she's not rushing through this pull part of the breaststroke. Mm -hmm. She's just rushing to get back in line. And I think that is the key. That's what Lily's doing really well. Um, you know, and you look at Adam and you look at Lily and they, they look like they are really, they are really great pulling in their breaststroke. Yeah. Um, but you look at them and they're not pulling really far back mm -hmm. and they're keeping their hands in front and, they're getting really good up front. And then to be able to, yeah, like I said, like really drive forward into that line. So I think the two actually are very similar. Um, even though, you know, Adam just looks like massively stronger than <laughs> Lily, but the, technically in the way they move through the water, I see is very similar. Yeah. I'm watching the ISL uh, recently and, and I'm seeing a lot of people moving away from underwater pullouts. They're basically just taking a small, breaststroke pull into their stroke and getting up and getting going what, what's your thoughts on this yeah i see that too and you know what i i do think for a short course race uh where like adding a cycle or two per length doesn't you know is something that you can do i do think that if you are faster with swimming it's just you know kind of balancing it similar to your dolphin kick in a freestyle or a fly race like managing your speed underwater and above water, trying to find that balance. So I, I think it actually does really make a lot of sense short course, um, especially since you can get going a lot faster and then you could, you know, the lengths are shorter. So you could maintain your tempos a lot easier than you can over a 50 meter race. Yeah. Awesome. Appreciate that. Let's get into the freestyle then, which is the, the best stroke, obviously, clearly. Um, oh, what are the, what do you, in your opinion, what are the best freestylers doing well? Yeah. You know, I'll go to that first thing you mentioned, which is just kind of maintaining stable hips. And at first, you know, I loved it. I think it was like the 2006 national team, USA national team coach seminar where you came up and talked about sprinting and Mike bottom came up separately and talked about sprinting. And both of you guys talked about, stable hips and not rotating the hips too much. And I loved it because I was kind of thinking the same thing on my own too. And to hear both of you independently talk about that is something that always stands out to me. So I would say that, that the stable hips and yeah, your hips are pivoting a little bit. And, but I would say generally you're not going for that big rotation. And a lot of that is so that you can stay connected through your stroke, trying to connect every single catch up front with your hip, with the opposite hip. And trying to, as you start that initial stroke, trying to connect that hip to that, to that catch. Um, you know, I think the catch I was, is always something I talk about with freestyle. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I do think that even our sprinters uh, all the way up to our distance, distance athletes are doing, are trying to hold water up front. Like that's such a big thing. Uh, but staying connected um, across your body through the diagonals, um, 
you know, I know you, you had the, the term power lines. Mm. And I think th- that was uh, like these things, these terms, power lines, you know, just how you generate power through your stroke and maintain it through your body. And then I like to talk about the power triangle, which is kind of like, if you're, if you're trying to get the cats from a front view, you need to have your arm in the shape of a triangle from your hand to elbow. I can't really get this interview here, but uh, hand, elbow, shoulder, making the shape of a a triangle or half of a diamond. And that's where you get your catch. So is the the power triangle dead in sprinting? Like why is everybody going to straight arm? Um, no, I, I feel like there's a degree where you can get a little bit of a catch. So like Caleb has a, a pretty good catch in his freestyle. Simone has a great catch in her, his free, in her freestyle. And Nathan has a great catch in his freestyle. So Mallory Comerford, same thing. So I, I would say, um, you know, it, it just varies. I mean, you have obviously have athletes that are more power based and will tend to just drive in and drive their hand in and hold their hand kind of drive their arm in straight and just follow that motion through. Um, and that's fine too. A lot of it is, I guess, with sprinting sustainability. So how effective is your first cycle versus your 20th cycle in the race? And so I would say like, yeah, can that, can you, is it as effective? Is it as sustainable? And that's kind of how you can determine whether you can go with full straight arm underwater. Yeah, I love it, man. I appreciate your thoughts on that quick little um, little conference on how to swim fast in each stroke. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, we've brought up Caleb a lot, and obviously he's the, the world's best swimmer right now. Um, he's doing a lot of things well technically, but it's not just the, the technical side of swimming e- either, is it? I mean, there's obviously the mental side, and there's, there's the, the training, the physical, the physiology that goes into it. He just seems to be um, clicking on all cylinders right now. He's getting everything right, isn't he? Yeah, you know, he has a great team of people around him. He does all the work himself as well. And, you know, with, with Coach Troy and um, his strength coach, um, they do a phenomenal job just – doing all the right things. And that's what it takes, you you know, to, to be the best nowadays, you especially have to do all the right things in and out of the water. And, and like, just, you know, coming off the NBA finals, like listening to what LeBron does on and off the court. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of the off the court, the recovery stuff. Um, it's doing all those things, right. So that you can perform the way that you want when it comes to game time. And I think Caleb does all those things right in and out of the water. Yeah, nice. I love it, man. Well, listen, you have such a, an influence on USA Swimming. Do you get bonuses when they win gold medals? <laughs> no, actually. And <laughs> and that's totally fine. You know, I, I would say um, the athletes and the coaches are the ones that, that need to be rewarded for their work. I mean, and, and for me to just to be able to get paid for this and to be able to go to the Olympics and to be able to get to know these athletes, that's the reward in itself. To see it is the reward to see Nathan win that gold in 2012. I mean, brought tears to my eyes. Like Mm. that's, that's the reward. And, and like, you know, it as a coach, like that, that reward um, is mostly intrinsic and not something that you, you know, no one is swimming for the money. The money is a great bonus. uh, But I would say, you know, you have to have the heart and passion for it, as you talked about in the beginning. Yeah, for sure. Now, 
you know, if, if this ISL thing does take off and a professional league is, is something that's going to be a constant in the future, how does USA Swimming see themselves in their role? Like, how do you influence professional swimming in the future? Yeah, you know, we support our athletes. We want our athletes to be healthy and to be performing great and to, you know, the athletes are what makes up our sport, especially at the highest level. And, you know, the success of ISL and is it helps the success of our athletes financially, it helps sustain them. Um, it helps the growth of our sport. So I do feel like USA Swimming, all the federations across the world and ISL will have to have some kind of synergy in order to, for, for the, to ultimately for the sport to grow in the best way possible. And if it's reaching an audience that we have not been able to reach before and, or connects with people in a way that we haven't connected with before, that's great for, for swimming in general. And I think that, yeah, like I said, there's a synergy um, we need to be able to find. And I, I would say um, that's a, uh, you know, that's a balance that we'll figure out. Yeah. I mean, that's a great political answer. And you, and you certainly said all the right things for sure, but it doesn't service anybody. Russell Mark sitting at home for 200 days while professional swimming's going on, man, like you, you need to be there. You need to be with the athletes and for your, for your sake, first of all, get out of the house. And then, and then for them, you know, like you said, the Olympics is next year. Like what's the point of you sitting at home when that's going on, you could be helping them improve, helping them get better. So we've got to figure this synergy out pretty quick. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I am keeping in touch with a lot of the athletes. I'm watching a lot of their videos um, and watching a lot of the racing. And it would be the same as if, you know, many years we have athletes go overseas and and do some racing or or even in the U.S. Like not everyone goes to all the meets that I go to. So, um, you know, I have been able to or have had to figure out how to work remotely, you Mm -hmm. know, this entire time, because really I'm based in Colorado Springs and we have at all of our athletes based in like 40 different teams around the country. So, um, you know, I, I've had to figure out all, throughout all this, like how to, how to still work effectively with people, even if I can't be with them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Well, I hope you do get out there and get it, get in it, um, get your feet on the ground, man. We need you out there, but, uh, you know, you, you got a little bit inside knowledge. Is the Olympics going to happen? You think, uh, I mean, from your point of view, uh, are we going to get it next year? I hope so. You know, I do think just like every major event in the world, a lot of it depends on the state of the pandemic and how we're able to manage it. You know, a lot of it is up to obviously the Tokyo 2021 organizing committee and then also the IOC and figuring out those safety protocols and obviously the state of the world. And, uh, you know, right now, obviously, we're in a point where things are, you know, at an upward inflection point in the U.S. So, uh, you know, hoping that events, hoping that we can stay healthy, the world can stay healthy, and then that can happen. I I think we will try, everybody is going to do their best to try to figure out a way to make it happen, because that means that as a global, as a world, we are moving in the right direction in this pandemic. So we all hope and have our fingers crossed for that. Good stuff, man. Well, listen, um, you know, you talk to anyone that's been part of the national team for the past 15 years and there there are two names that keep coming up about people that they love it's uh jack roach and russell mark man so there's not a person that has a bad word to say about you they're very thankful for all that you have done for them i I know that i hear that a lot and the influence you've had on them you may not hear that from them as much but i i hear it and um you know you're a great man great leader and i appreciate everything that you're doing man well i appreciate that a lot i've had 
you know, I give all the credit to people like you coaches that I've worked with through all this time and athletes that just show me and open the doors for me to give, to have that opportunity to work with them, to learn from them. And if I can contribute to them and, um, you know, I'm just humbled and honored to have that privilege. Appreciate it. Well, listen, um, thanks again. Thanks for your time and, uh, get back out there, man. Good to see you. All right. All right. Thank you, Brett. See you, Russell. See ya. Are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. Go to swimpractice.com to check it out.